Good morning. We're going to remain in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat, and as you go to your seat, let us pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be your children. We're grateful to be in this family. We need you. We treasure you. Pray that you would help us see the glories of Jesus Christ in your living and active word. That it is indeed able to change us to the core, transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Pray you would take my feeble attempts and my feeble words uh, to uh, share the gospel this morning from this text. Spirit, I pray that you would do what you are always pleased to do and have that bear fruit in the hearts of my friends here this morning. And I pray that we would hold fast to this confession of our hope, that we have uh, unwavering hope, a sure and steady anchor in Jesus Christ. It's his name we proclaim because he who promised is faithful. So grateful to gather this morning. I want to take an opportunity, Father. We want to lift up uh, our friends and maybe even family members who are in other parts of this country that are suffering mightily this morning. Uh, we pray for Hawaii. We pray for Maui, that there's so much death and destruction there, so much heartbreak. We know that uh, because of sin, this is a desperately fallen world, full of trial, tribulation, suffering. We pray that, uh, that you would look upon the, the people of Maui and that they wouldn't put their hope in, in a restored home or a restored city, but they would put their hope in you. I pray for our, our friends that are in Southern California, the parts of Arizona that are going to be receiving a hurricane today and, and life-threatening flooding and dangerous mudslides and all the things that are scary for that part of the country. We pray that you would be with them. Pray that you would uh, bring your grace and mercy. And would you allow for those who are far from you to, to turn to you in their heart and repent. And we, we ask the creator of all things, the one who is sovereign over everything, the one who holds all things together, we appeal to you. We ask in faith, the faith that is a gift, the faith that is from you, and we proclaim it in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Jeff Jameson. It's uh, really good to be with you again this morning. Uh, we were, as Kate mentioned, in this 
passage in Hebrews 10 last week because we started a, a brief series. We're calling it Further Up and Further In. And what we wanted to do in this series is to take the opportunity to look at this passage and really consider the vision and mission of City Church. So many of you have been a part of City Church for a very long time, and so you've probably heard our vision statement and mission statement, but some of you are newer to City Church. Some of you, maybe this is your first time. I see new faces, I see old new faces, and it's so good to see that. But we want to make this the opportunity, we want to ask God in this opportunity in Hebrews 10 to reiterate, to have us to consider again together, uh, who is City Church? What are we called to do? Who are we called to be? The vision and mission of City Church. Last week, we really focused on the vision of our church, and, and that is that we are together pursuing a revival of joyful worship. We talked a lot last week about verse 22 that we just heard, that we draw near to God, we draw near to Him guilt-free, and we draw near to God shame-free because of the blood of Jesus, our great high priest. That's where we experience the epicenter of joyful worship. Now, the mission statement of our church is that we trust in God's Word to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in truth, hope, and steadfastness. We trust in God's Word. We cling to it. We, we treasure it. We ingest it. We read it. We meditate upon God's Word to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in truth, hope, and steadfastness. And I think we find a very uh, great, apt summary of our mission statement in verse 23. If, if you look at it again, it says, let us hold fast the confession, which is truth, there's truth, of our hope without wavering, there's steadfastness. You see it in that verse? Truth, hope, and steadfastness. For he who promised is faithful. This was uh, certainly a very important encouragement for the people in the early church that were hearing this letter read aloud at the time. Many of them were being persecuted. Many of them were actually Jewish Christians of Jewish descent. And the temptation was very great at this time to uh, kind of throw away the confession of their hope and go back into the old covenant, go back to old ways, the ways they probably grew up learning and knowing, maybe to altogether give up on this confession of their hope. But the writer of Hebrews says, hold fast, hold, hold firmly, don't let go of what you've been taught. Apparently, there was, a, there was a great temptation to forget what was being taught. There was great temptation to not have their minds on this confession of hope. I don't think we need a lot of convincing that we also need to hear these words today. There are strong temptations here. There are strong temptations in our modern culture to loosen the grip over truth to give up hope, maybe to give up hope altogether. If not giving up hope altogether, then certainly putting hope in something else other than the confession of our hope. And so we need to be reminded of these things often. And we especially need to be reminded that truth, hope, 
and steadfastness are only possible. Why? Well, it says it there in the text. All these things are only possible because he who promised is faithful. If you're taking notes, the, the summary sentence for this message is, we are a persevering people because of God's persevering faithfulness. So we are a persevering people because of God's persevering faithfulness. And one of the questions we need to answer from this passage pretty early on is, what exactly is this confession of our hope? When we see those words in verse 23, what, what does that actually mean? What are we to hold fast to? I would answer simply the gospel. We hold fast to the truth of the gospel. That is the confession of our hope that Jesus came to save sinners, that Jesus put on flesh. He died in our place. He rose again. He's with the Father in heaven and he will come again. What I want to pull out of this this one verse, this one verse in verse 23, what I want to pull out of it this morning are two things, and that is a call to gospel passion and a call to gospel devotion. Those are the two blanks on your handout if you're taking notes. Gospel passion and gospel devotion. By passion, I mean the intensity, the, the strength in which we hold fast, and then devotion referring to the longevity. Then I think hold fast really uh, implies those two things, that we're holding passionately and tightly to this confession of our hope, but we're not doing so for a short amount of time. We're doing so for a long period of time. We're doing so for the duration. We hold fast. We devote ourselves to this confession of our hope, to the gospel. So when we say we, we hold fast to the gospel, there should be a passion. There should be an intensity there should be a fervor in which we are passionately holding on to the gospel, to this confession. And when we hear that word confession, maybe our minds go to something of church history. You know, we think of confessions, there are many confessions that have been a part of the church for the past 2,000 years. In fact, in the early church, in this actual church that the writer of Hebrews is addressing, very likely when he says the confession of our hope, he's actually talking about what, what may have been a written creed at the time. And you hear that word creed, and maybe many of you immediately think of various creeds that you've been familiar with over your lifetime. Over the church's history, there have been many creeds. We, we actually recite the Apostles' Creed here at City Church ever so often. And the reason we do that is that creeds have, have really distilled gospel truths into fairly short summaries, maybe uh, able to be memorized. So like the Apostles' Creed, this is a way that the church has always come together to recite gospel truths, to recite these very things that we hold true. Maybe you grew up in a church that also recited other creeds, like the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed. Creeds are, are helpful to encourage us to hold on to gospel truths. And I think it's important that at this point we, we should acknowledge that when we recite a creed, when we hold on to a confession of our hope, we are actually receiving something that has been given to us, that's been passed down to us throughout the ages. 
There's a famous hymn that says, tell me the old, old story. Maybe some of you sang that in church. Tell me the old, old story. And the gospel is an old story. It's as old as Genesis. Trevin Wax is a theologian and professor who wrote a book last year that I've I've really enjoyed. It's called The Thrill of Orthodoxy. And in it, he says that we are a people that should be discovering truths and not inventing them. Of, of receiving old truths and not creating them ourselves. He goes on to say this in the book. This is a quote. He says, Over the centuries, as theologians studied the scriptures and looked for the best way to apply old truths to new situation, the church's understanding has deepened. We come to better grasp the reality of the Trinity, the meaning of the atonement, and the power of God's revealed word. It is not that we move away from the simplicity of the New Testament texts, the inspired words of the apostolic witnesses. No, we go back so that we can go forward, digging deeper until we find the treasures necessary to meet today's challenges. We hold fast to a confession, the confession of our hope that's been passed down to us throughout the ages. There's a great deal in this time, in this age, of what uh, C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard that term before, chronological snobbery. And this is the idea that, that we, in today's culture, in today's time, that we are more knowledgeable, we are better equipped to handle truths today than anyone who came before us. Chronological snobbery is that tendency to dismiss things of the past as irrelevant relics that are out of touch with our modern times. But if we, if we have a conservative faith, and even saying that word conservative, some of you may be uh, rising up within and going, what are you talking about, a conservative faith? I don't I don't want to talk about politics this morning, and we're not. This this is not what I mean by conservative faith. What I mean is that we conserve the truth of the gospel that's been passed down to us throughout the centuries, and we don't look to invent new truths to fit the age that we live in today. Now, this church, along with every Protestant church that exists today, is because of, we exist because of the Protestant Reformation. I think most of us know that. We've at least studied that to some degree over our lifetime. We know the Protestant Reformation back in the 1500s. The Reformation is how many of the churches that we have been to throughout our entire lives have formed. And there is a Latin phrase that has been born out of the Reformation. That Latin phrase is semper Reformanda, semper reformanda. Maybe some of you even familiar with that Latin phrase. Sorry to throw Latin on you this morning. That means always reforming, always reforming. And that phrase, always reforming, has been applied to the church over the centuries. The reformed church is always reforming. Now, this is, this is an ongoing call for renewal. 
This is a renewing type statement when we hear always reforming. This is not throwing out everything that has come before, but it is simply returning to the confession of our hope, the anchor of our faith. So we don't, we don't throw out babies with the bathwater. I think that's the temptation that, that we experience so often in today's church, just to throw out everything that has come before But that's not what reforming, that's not what a reformed church does. What a reformed church should be doing is looking at ourselves and asking if what we are doing and who we are are aligned with God's purposes. Are we aligned, are we passionately aligned with the gospel? Because we don't, hold fast, uh, we don't hold fast to old truths just for the sake of holding on to old truths. We're not in the business. We have no desire as reformers. We have no desires as, as those who want to cling to old truths that have been passed down to us. There's no desire for us to hold on to something old simply because we don't want to change. Well, we, we do this because we recognize that we are a reforming church because we return over and over again to this confession of our hope. Now, have, have grievous sins and terrible injustices happened in the church over the past 2,000 years? Has, have things like racism and sexual immorality and abuse happened in the church over the past 2,000 years? Of course they have. Sadly, they have. We know that is the case. Some of you have been directly impacted by those things. You've experienced them in your own heart. You've experienced them maybe in your family. The answer, though, is not to burn the whole thing down, but to remove the rot that is infecting the house, to remove the rot that is infecting the house of God. We are reformers. We are a reformed church, always reforming, and that means that we are reforming in the image of Christ. We are reforming in his image, not our own. The church is his body. The church is his bride. So there's gospel passion. There's there's us holding fast with the intensity to grip tightly this confession of our hope, this hope that we have received. And now there's gospel devotion that goes right along with it. If, If the passion that I'm talking about is the intensity, then the devotion, as I mentioned earlier, is the longevity. It's the long suffering. It's the holding fast for a long period of time. It's playing the long game. And it's playing the long game, as verse 23 says, without wavering. Without wavering. We hold fast, lest we drift away over time. If, if you've swum in the ocean, you, you surely have experienced this before when we talk about drift. Uh, that you know, before you know it, if you're in the ocean and you're not paying attention, you'll find yourself drifting uh, along the shore uh, pretty far away from wherever your stuff is. 
Have you experienced this before when you look up and suddenly where you first entered the ocean is way down there and so you have to swim against the current to get back closer to where the things are on the beach? My family loves to go to a lake in East Texas and even in a lake there is something similar to this where we, if we're just floating in the lake, we'll begin to drift away but in this particular lake we have an anchored floating dock. The dock is in the middle of the lake, but it's anchored to the bottom of the lake, and we know that if we hold on to that, we won't move. Anchor metaphors are actually very appropriate in thinking about holding fast and not drifting away. The author of Hebrews actually appeals to this very imagery of anchors back in chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and want to turn back a few pages to Hebrews 6, Verses 17 through 19. Listen to what the author says here. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He who promised is faithful. What, what the author is talking about here is that the oath, this oath is what was given to Abraham way back in Genesis, that, that he would multiply his children, he would bless his family, and his family would be a blessing to the nations. And he says there's two unchangeable things. One is that oath. The other is God does not lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And so the author is saying these two things should encourage you. These are the anchors of your soul. This is the sure and steady anchor. This is your hope. This is gospel devotion. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Louis Zamperini. This is a, actually a famous uh, Olympian back in the 30s, but he went on to become a bombardier in World War II. And in, in the army, his plane crashed over the Pacific Ocean during World War II. And it was all captured in a book called Unbroken. I don't know if any of you read that book. I highly recommend it. It's a wonderful book. They also made it into a movie. But in this story, this true story, Zamperini and several of his other men uh, crash into the Pacific Ocean. He and two others survive this crash. They hold on to two rafts drifting at sea for 47 days. Can you imagine? 47 days of drifting in the Pacific Ocean. They were starving severely. They were thirsting. They were physically and mentally wasting away. Sharks were circling them constantly. There wasn't a moment where they didn't see a shark circling their rafts. They were even attacked while they were on their raft by Japanese aircraft. And so bullets riddled all throughout the rafts. They have to repair the rafts. And if that wasn't enough, after 47 days, the raft that he is on floats right into the hands of the Japanese. He becomes a prisoner of war for nearly two more years. 
And in the POW camp, Zamperini is beaten and tortured. The most pivotal moment, though, in his story comes when he is given the opportunity to be released from this POW camp. When the, the Japanese radio guys come and say, if you read this statement, this propaganda statement for the country of Japan on our radio, then we will release you from the POW camp. And he refuses to do so. Then he's sent right back into the POW camp where he is severely beaten to near death. An unwavering devotion to his country in the face of the strongest currents. And so the, the call is for the church to hold fast without wavering in the midst of the currents that we are in now. Specifically, the institutions of the church and the institution of marriage face these strong currents right now. Anti-institutionalism. Institutes, institutions are under attack in our culture. There are unorthodox views on sexuality and gender. And again, we, we see this great temptation to divorce our faith from the past 2,000 years of doctrine and teaching. The, the, the temptation is to compromise the gospel. This is why it's so important to build a Christian worldview. I'm so grateful uh, to Chris, and uh, we're all grateful that Chris has such a passion about this and that he even taught us about this about a year ago and speaks of it often, that we are to build a Christian worldview. We need a worldview that is a product of our holding fast the confession of our hope. We need a worldview that winsomely explains why marriage is between a man and a woman, to tell the mystery of marriage and how it points to Christ and his church, how the Bible points to all of us putting to death the desires that are unholy to follow Christ, even sexual desires. And again, I, I know that so many of you have directly had to face things like this, maybe even in your own self, putting to death unholy desires, putting to death desires that the world would say, that's okay, that's who you are. Run in that, live out of that. So many of you have friends and family members who struggle in this area, who maybe wouldn't even darken the doors of a church because they don't agree with what we are saying here about orthodox teaching on marriage and sexuality. And so we build a worldview, we hold fast to this confession of our hope, and we, and we attempt to persuade and convince a lost and dying world of these truths. And we do so with compassion and understanding. We do so with, with all knowledge that this is such a tender place. This is a, a very tender place. Fifth century philosopher and theologian Augustine said this, we are to stand against the world for the good of the world. We are to stand against the world for the good of the world. There are a lot of people who do not understand why these issues are of primary gospel importance. But we have got to carve out this space where we're able to say, I love you, but I don't agree with you. I love you, 
but I disagree with what, how you are thinking about this. Can we have that conversation? Can we enter into these conversations as we trust God's word, as we stand firmly on the confession of our hope to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ? We hold fast the confession of our hope. We hold fast with gospel passion and devotion. We hold fast with incredible intensity and long-lasting devotion, and we do so without wavering. And we do this because we are actually clinging, we are holding fast to a person. We're holding fast to a person. That's because this good news, this confession of our hope, this gospel that's been passed down through the ages is about a person, and it's about Jesus Christ. So as we close, let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wavered in holding fast? The answer is, of course you have. I mean, gospel demands that we would be honest. There, there isn't anyone in this room that hasn't wavered at some point in holding fast to the confession of our hope. We do waver. We fall short all the time. We doubt. We are weak and feeble people. We are like John the Baptist in prison asking Jesus, are you the one or shall we look for another? I know that some of you, even this morning, as we talk about creeds and confessions or we talk about building worldviews, are actually just wondering if Christianity itself is true. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Some of you may have let go of your grip some of you are not holding at all right now, and you've let go of anything that you were holding on to in this area. Maybe this looks like a significant season of doubt that you've been walking through. Maybe it's been months. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's even led to a deconstructing of your faith. And if that's not your story, surely you know at least one other person that, that it is their story. But here is what I know, that left to ourselves, not only could we doubt or could we deconstruct, but we would totally walk away from God. Left to ourselves, there is no holding fast. But we are not a persevering people apart from a persevering God. He perseveres. He is steadfast for us. He is steadfast in us. He's for us. He's in us. Those of us who have this faith of unwavering hope have the God of the universe residing in our hearts. He preserves. He perseveres. He is steadfast for us and in us. We are not holding fast to some sort of abstract orthodoxy. We're not holding fast to a list of rules. We're not holding fast to some type of improved ethical concerns. We are holding fast to Jesus. We hold fast to Jesus who lives and reigns today. He alone was wavering to hold fast to God and his word and his love for you. Jesus was unwavering in the garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus was unwavering up on that cross because he loves you. Jesus knew that you would, that he would not be held fast by God, but he held fast to the cross. He knew when he went to the cross that God would no longer hold him fast. The Father would let go of Jesus on the cross, but he clung to the cross. He held fast to the cross for you and for me. He knew he would be cast far off and destroyed so that you and I would live. He loves you so much that he was gruesomely deconstructed to give you a sure and steady foundation, to give you an anchor of hope. And because he lives today, he will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. When many of the disciples begin to desert Jesus, we read this in the Gospels, that Jesus asked Peter in that moment, do you also want to go away? And might we respond like Peter does at that time when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Jesus is truth. He is our hope. He is steadfastness personified. Has there ever been a love that has been this steadfast in the world? Even when Peter would later on desert Jesus, we are reminded that because Jesus had prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, Peter holds him fast in the end. And so shall we. Sinclair Ferguson says this, he says, there's no such thing as a perseverance that does not persevere. There's no such thing as a perseverance that does not persevere. And that's not because of you or me. There's nothing in us, there's nothing special about you and me that perseveres. It's only because of the God who is faithful and keeps his promises and all of his promises find their yes in Jesus. And he holds us fast. And he loves us to the end. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus. We will spend the rest of our lives celebrating and marveling at the beauties of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for me and for my friends this morning. He holds us fast. He will not let us go. Those of us who are found in him, those of us who have been given a faith, those of us who are holding fast to this confession that we have received, the good news of the gospel of Jesus dying, Jesus uh, being raised, and Jesus living forever and coming again, you hold us fast. Your persevering faithfulness allows us to persevere in the, in the wake of so many temptations to let go, the temptations in our own heart, our own desires that are, that are moving away, moving us away from you, will you help us to be a reforming people, to consider our own church, to consider our own hearts, and to repent where we need to repent and to walk back to you. 
Will you help us in the, in the midst of a culture who uh, is, is lying constantly about who you are and wanting to tell new truths and new stories, but may we cling to the old, old story, the old, old truth of the cross and the good gospel. And may you help us uh, have these conversations with a lost and dying world and with maybe even friends that we love deeply who wouldn't agree with the things that we are saying this morning, but would you help us to speak words of life to them, your words of life. And may we convince them, not because of our own words, but would you put words in our mouth that would be able to testify to your goodness and spirit, would you do the work of convincing, of persuading, of bringing in to this family of God those who are wavering now, who are in grave doubting currently, but might you bring them into a place where they are holding fast, reminded constantly that they're only doing so because you hold us fast. And we love you. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.